Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 186. Thank you for joining us. Today, Jordan returns to the show to help Bonnie and I welcome back Dr. Hassler and to welcome Colby alumna and teacher, Mrs. Olivia Knufke, to a discussion about music. We discuss our introductions to music and the importance of listening to music. We also discuss the quality of recordings from digital to vinyl to live performances. Our discussion serves as a good introduction, but keep your eyes open for a follow-up episode with this group as well. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. And I'm Jordan. As a product of homeschooling, I'm proud to teach Greek and Latin for Colby Online and serve as the alumni and public relations director. We have gathered with us some musically minded folks for a conversation that I've been looking forward to for a while. Dr. Carl Hassler, hi, good to see you again. You're overdue to come back and talk to us. So I'm glad you're back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. And we get to introduce a new voice to the Colby Cast Mix, Mrs. Olivia Konefke, who's teaching an online music history course for us here at Colby. Good morning, Mrs. Konefke. How are you? Wonderful. It's great to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're joining us. I've, I've been hoping to get to meet you and visit with you a little bit. Would you tell us a bit about yourself and your background and kind of how you found your way to Colby? Yeah. So I currently live in Irving, Texas with my husband of six years and my two daughters who are five and one. Um, I came to Colby back when I was a student at Colby, um, back in the dark ages before the online school, before definitely before podcasts. And um, I did the high school program. Uh, it was a really great program. I really enjoyed it. I felt it prepared me really well for college. Um, I went to Thomas Aquinas College in Southern California to get my undergrad and then um, Dominican University in Northern California to get my master's. Um, I'm a cellist by trade, and um, I'm really happy to be back at Colby on the other end. It's really wonderful to see how hard the teachers work and um, yeah, come just, it feels like a really full circle moment to be back here teaching now uh, the music history course. I don't think I knew that you were a Colby alumna. Well, now that I think about it, someone may have told me that, but it didn't register. <laughs> Would you say a bit more about your musical background, your training as a cellist, oh. that sort of stuff? Yeah, um, I started playing cello when I was around five. Um, I listened to a recording of the Bach Cello Suites by Yo-Yo Ma, and I turned to my mom and dad and asked what instrument that was. And then I got really interested in trying it out. I started on a very tiny little cello started playing cello and it kind of went from there. I grew up in New York city and I went to a music school there. And then when it came to, um, when I was 13, I joined a kind of a more pre-professional music program at the music school. It's like a scholarship program that once you got in, you got, um, orchestra, chamber, theory, your private instrument. So it was a real commitment, um, for students who are very serious about music. So I did that in high school, uh, end of middle school and high school. And then going to TAC, it's not, it's a liberal arts college, but we do take a music course as it's a very important part of the liberal arts education. And there also are a lot of very serious musicians who go there. So there is an orchestra, there are uh, performance opportunities. I was in a couple ensembles, but leaving TAC, I felt like I needed to 
uh, round out my music education a little more. So that's why I went and got my master's in music at Dominican. Um, I'm also trained to teach in the Suzuki method, which some of you might've heard of. It's a very well, well-known pedagogy method um, that was founded by Dr. Suzuki, a Japanese violinist himself. So that's kind of where I come from with my musical background. Music is a part of my day-to-day life because I teach um, also privately. And so music is, I teach in my home. So there's co- always students coming and going, playing music. I feel very fortunate that my kids are able to grow up hearing music all, all around them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I come from. And I you know, make time for myself to practice. When I can, I do gigs. Um, play for friends, pay for family. Whenever there's a family gathering, I play, things like that. Just music is integrated into my life, which I feel very fortunate about. How did things go for you as a high school student balancing your academic and musical studies? You know, it was, it was a lot, but, um, you know, both required a lot of discipline, a lot of focus, a lot of time. But I was lucky because Um, I think that, you know, they kind of complemented each other. A lot of the skills that I needed to be, you know, persistent about my practicing and, you know, my work ethic were true for Colby and were true also for music. So it's the same kind of discipline that you need, but it was definitely a balance. And I will say once I got into this, um, you know, high school music program, I didn't do any other electives really besides music and then Colby. That was it because that's all I had time for. And, and that was a good decision that worked worked well for me, but it was a big commitment. And, um, but I'm really fortunate that I was able to have that opportunity. Yeah. I'd be curious to know if we have some current Colby students pursuing a similar track. I know know we have a lot of student athletes and dancers. I'd love to hear from the serious musicians among our student body now. Well, we first met Dr. Hassler on the Colby cast back in episode 64 Therese Prudlow, one of our online instructors and the chair of Colby's history department. She and I got to visit with Dr. Hassler. Of course, I will link that episode in the show notes. We we heard at the time a bit of your musical background, sir, but for folks who haven't yet listened to that episode, tell us about your musical side. Well, okay. Um, I have an older brother who's about nine years older than me. And so I, my my first sort of really remembering things is he was bringing home records folk music from the 60s and i'm sure now that i think about that a little bit that probably also influenced some of my philosophical interests later on down the road so i first things i remember is hearing folk music uh bob dylan people like that in the house as i got into middle school i picked up the trombone and was in the band And at that juncture, I'm being introduced to classical music. I was very fortunate in the school district that I was in that we were in a very, um, uh, very fine music program. Um, I'm not sure it's still quite that caliber, but it was a very excellent music program. And so I, in my band playing days had opportunities to play uh orchestral works by Wagner um Bartok my senior year we played a specially transcribed uh 
piece by Stravinsky, The Rite of Spring. If you know that piece, it's incredibly challenging, incredibly difficult. And we played that as our competition piece and um, we did well. We did very well. So I, I had all that influence going on there. I also played in the jazz band in high school too. So I had, I was starting to learn a little bit about jazz. So I decided I would go to North Texas State University, which is now the University of North Texas, which had, I think at the time it was, uh, it was the second largest public music school in the country. So it was a place where there were all kinds of really good musicians. So my first couple of years there, I was obviously immersed in the music program. I was playing in the wind ensemble. I was playing in some of the jazz bands. I even did one year of marching band, which was a mistake, but okay, uh, you, you learn. You learn by making mistakes. Uh, I never did that again. Um, and it was very, it was very competitive. Um, and I guess, I guess along the way, I, I made the critical, perhaps fatal mistake of starting to read books and reading philosophical works. And I, I had taken a philosophy class and I was completely blown away. I didn't understand anything. And I was so intrigued by the fact that I didn't understand anything that I wanted to keep taking more philosophy. And I began to realize that probably my my desire for what I wanted to do in music wasn't going to materialize. I didn't really want to want to end up being a band director in some little small West Texas town somewhere where, you know, the quality of musicianship wouldn't be anything like I had experienced. And I was reading books and getting interested in ideas. And, you know, we talked about being stricken by ideas that was happening to me at that point. So I changed my major. But about this time, strange as it may seem, I started working in a record store. And you guys probably all remember what records look like. Okay. <laughs> um, this would have been mid-70s. So if you think about what was going on in the music industry at that point, there were, there were all kinds of things happening. Um, and being in Dallas and being in the record business, I was being afforded all kinds of opportunities to go to concerts and things like that. Everybody that came to town, I went and saw. So now I'm getting introduced into popular music. And so I was looking for things in, in popular music that wasn't typically being played on the radio in, in the Dallas market. So I was listening to more jazz and blues and what we were calling progressive rock. And what interested me about progressive rock was what I could tell is that a lot of these guys who were in that genre were guys who, um, and gals too, who had a strong classical influence in their music education. So I was listening to a lot of that stuff that no one was playing on the radio here. So I'm getting, my tastes are going boom. It's like a big explosion. And I'm, I'm hearing all this stuff. 
And of course, being in the record industry, I was able to find all kinds of things. So, you know, Bartok cello suites and, and Bach and all this stuff. I was finding all this stuff that you couldn't just walk in and, and purchase, plus all this other stuff. Um, at that point, I go to grad school and it's all downhill from there. It's all philosophy, master's degree, PhD, you know, gypsy teaching for several years, full-time job in a community college. And other than that, music's always been something that I have to have on. I don't listen to the radio in the car. I have, well, I now have a little flash drive with everything in my uh, music collection on the flash drive because I can put everything on a on a 250 megabyte or 250 gig, I guess, or whatever it is. I don't know these things. Everything in my music collection. So I, I have everything at my fingertips in the car as well as on my computer. So I'm just, you know, I just listen to music. And uh, what I don't know about music, I fake it. And other than that, you know, that's where I am at this moment. Your, your students sure have benefited from this musical dimension of you. You're you're known to give recommendations. Um, what's it take to get on Dr. Hassler's recommended list? Well, a lot of times it's just music that just hits me and I go, that's just beautiful music. It's just something, you know, or or the 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 musicianship just strikes me as just these guys are really good you know and you know it's almost always it's something that you know most people wouldn't even know about so i i you know whenever i whenever i finally do post something it's always something that you know either i've been listening to it for 50 years I hate to hate to make that admission, but okay, at least 50 years or more, or it's something that I've come across that is just, this is really beautiful music. Um, and, you know, like to expose people to something more than what they might be hearing in their local markets right now, which oftentimes strikes me as barely can be called music. So, um, Maybe maybe a little of my musical arrogance coming through or my musical taste coming through or something like that. But yeah, that's so it's usually just something that either I've known about for a long time or something I just happened upon or or both. And, um, you know, when I feel like it, I pop it up there for others to listen to, see what kind of response I get. Usually the response is fairly positive. I'm sure glad you do. I bet Dr. Almanzar would have some thoughts about one of the things you just said about what's currently available. First, Dr. A, I feel like we know you well in the in your academic areas of interest and in your writing and so forth. You've you've spoken just briefly, though, only a few times about your musical background. And I think we'd have to go pretty far back in our ColbyCast archive to find any discussion of that. So would you tell us about yourself as a musician? Yeah, sure. My experience with music started out incredibly narrow because, um, you know, it's the 80s and 90s. And my parents, being evangelical Christians, 
my father being a pastor, they were part of that generation that looked at, at rock and roll or any kind of music like that as sinful. And uh, my mom was the, the pianist for, for the church. She's, she's very musical. And uh, so I was, around, I was around music, but it was all church music. And I, I guess I was a pretty good singer. So even from the time I was a little kid, it, you know, these evangelical churches, they have special music where they'll have a singer on Sundays and stuff. And so I was, I did that like multiple times every year. I would, I'd learn a song with my mom and I would sing and um, I loved music and there were, there were, they would listen to oldies though, the oldies stations, fifties and sixties music. It was fine. And so I would hear that and, and uh, I really liked Buddy Holly and some of these, these musicians that, but I, I didn't have access to uh, instruments really besides the piano. And I never got very good at piano, even though I took lessons for a long, long time. Um, and I, re I still remember I was probably 12 years old or so the first time I heard an acoustic guitar up close. I'd never heard one live and it just, I felt it inside. It was like this beautiful, beautiful feeling that I remember in my chest with somebody who was playing it, just, just a, a visitor at our house. We didn't have guitars in church or drums or anything because all of that was sinful. It was uh, only piano was, was the only acceptable instrument. And somehow I got this beat up guitar eventually and I was about 15 or 16. I was 15 when I got it and I immediately started writing music and I started a sort of sort of rebelling in that I, I was uh, listening to stations my parents didn't want me to. And I mean, there was just this short time of, you know, from about 15 to 18 where it all switched. I'm, I'm all of a sudden getting Green Day and Weezer CDs and listening to them quietly with my, my parents not, not knowing that I was listening to it. And I started imitating their music and, and learning how to write it myself. And, and uh, you know, by the time I was 18, I, I had written quite a few songs. I, I immediately started writing music and I was fascinated with, with music and just kind of, you know, like those, those styles of bands is what I was imitating, like 90s alternative stuff. And then I originally kind of like, like Carl, I, I was really interested in music at the beginning of my college career. So I actually worked really hard on piano and, and became a music major. And I knew I wasn't good enough to be a, a performer um, of classical music, but I got good enough on piano um, to where I could major as a, as a music composition major. So I love music composition, music theory, all of that. I, I got really into it for a very short time, um, like two years. And then it was sort of the same thing. Books took over and, uh, and, and I, there was that connection, this some sort of connection with like the wonder of writing and writers and all of that and, and music and what, how those two things go together. And then a professor in California who was very instrumental in, in my whole trajectory academically, he told me that he had been in a band and, uh, and, and same, the same progression happened to him where he, he said it, it, it lacked, he felt like it lacked the substance, music did. It lacked the substance, pop music, you know, guitar, bass and drums, but it lacked the substance he was after. And then he said, but I may have been wrong. 
So I, he made this whole career and some of his former bandmates were still playing music. And he he's kind of said, I may, I may have been wrong, but I, I left to go to California really with the idea that I, I was going to become you know, a musician. That was my idea. It was still before the internet. Um, and I was going around playing in coffee shops and, and open mics and things like that acoustic music and uh, trying to form a band and play. I played in a few different bands, but it was, it was through that. I, I ended up meeting my wife around that time and everything sort of changed. So I kept all these songs written in maybe an eight year period. And I still, you know, I'd play them all the time. Um, every chance I got, even, even up until recently. And what's happened now is my daughters have sort of just, stolen the stage from me so I, I I never I never play and I I never really taught them anything we, they, they did uh piano lessons but one of my daughters who's really good on guitar a lot better than I was uh even years older than her um they just learned through imitating me and they they kind of learned to love the music that I used to listen to and play and all of that so they're writing their own songs so I'm around music all the time they, they play constantly one of my daughters wrote um she's 11 she wrote an entire musical that is beautiful beautiful called salem about the salem witch trials and it's it's on piano and her only problem is she doesn't have any friends who can hit all the notes that she <laughs> that she wrote for it but our idea is is to actually try to try to get a homeschool group together or something and, and actually have her perform this musical so they, they've sort of, I don't even know where my guitar is. They just take the instruments and stuff. But so it's all switched to them. It's the next generation. And I would have to say they're, they're much better than, than I was. That is amazing. I would love to be around when they're working that stuff up. Yeah, I was just, I can, I can verify Jordan's, Jordan is just not speaking as a, as a proud biased father in this case. I, I when I was visiting uh, visiting them over the summer, the, all of their children came out to do an impromptu performance, and it was just they were har even to the littlest ones harmonizing, and it was it was yeah, they've got it there. They they've got the the gift. What's what's people always think that one of us is training them, but we're not. They, they, it's the kids themselves, and and they're all all five of them. They they sing together and they they come up with these parts and the oldest one is really good sort of at directing and you sing this part and you sing that part, but somehow I can't harmonize you could, for a million dollars. I wouldn't be able to harmonize to a song, but they all can do it for some reason. So it's all them. It's not us. Okay. Steven, your turn to tell us about your, your musical inclinations. Well, I'm definitely the, the outlier of this group today because, um, I, I played the drums a bit when I was uh, in in school, marching band a couple of summers with uh, percussion instruments, which are heavy, but that was that's okay. Um, and uh, did musicals and things. Uh, probably, you know, growing up, my mother's very musical, um, and we were Lutheran, so it was exposure to you know Bach and Handel and beautiful music on Sunday with the organ. And then my mother and some of her, some of my relatives just naturally did four part harmony. So I never developed the discipline to be able to sing harmony, but they would just without, you know, like Jordan's family, I just did not experience that before. So there was an exposure to music. And then 
performing in musicals and things in high school. And I decided I should take a couple classes because at that point I was going to be a Protestant minister. And that was my intention. And you, in our church, at least, you needed to be able to sing if you're going to be an effective Protestant minister. So I figured I better hone my my vocals a little bit. But um, for me, listening is has become so. I'm not a performer. My my vocals are not great, and my my <laughs> I don't play the drums anymore. And so there's not a lot of practice going on. But listening has become a really important part. And one of the things that um, I. I what we've talked about on the podcast before I administer this ability test called the Highlands ability battery. And one of the things I found interesting is there's actual learning abilities like tonal memory that can be measured, which is the ability to learn by hearing, but also the ability to remember tones. And then there's rhythm memory, which again is learning by moving and different things like that, but is your ability to remember rhythms. And then there's pitch discrimination, how you can determine one note from another and that has other things as far as tends to go across all of your senses if you have high pitch discrimination you tend to be discerning or maybe even picky i guess but all of those combine at least i've been instructed i believe it um when you're high with those in those abilities you tend to have natural musical ability but it also makes a demand just as dr hassler was saying there that you basically if you don't have music in your life, you're going to feel this emptiness, this this kind of unsettled sort of sort of nature. And so it just, you know, I, in my family, going through Thomas Aquinas College myself, I learned very much about um, the, the beauty of classical music and the importance of music on the soul and going through some of those courses as well. But my heart is often in classic rock and going back further to Frank Sinatra and, um, you know, all of that stuff. So I've, I have a playlist that I built, I've built over the years, which is now 26 hours or so on, on our Apple music. We listen to it all the way through once when we we're driving from California to Arkansas, but, um, otherwise it's just on in the kitchen. You know, when we, when I'm cooking after dinners, we're dancing about the kitchen. It's just throw on the playlist and and play it but otherwise it's while i'm working like my, my my computer's on i'm playing music while i'm writing emails or whatever so an important part of my life i love music and whether it's the classic rock or i have a particular love of chant now of polyphony and uh saint hildegard or palestrina or all of that is is that's my sunday morning haven in the kitchen while i'm cooking breakfast for everybody but um yeah, so not performing, but uh, an appreciation for the beauty and and just I like to dance too with you know like two steps TAC traditional ballroom style dancing I love it and the music that I listen to you can dance to so I have four left feet so I don't like to dance but uh, the the idea that music can move your soul I think is something uh, that that you can find in all the genres, all the genres of music. And uh, I think that's something that, you know, with this discussion has popped into my head, how beautiful music, wherever it comes from, just just can really move you in, in a lot of different ways. And uh, I, th I think, yeah, life would be so much less enjoyable without it 
I've got to hand it to you, marching band folks. That is, there's so much that goes into that. That goes for all sorts of musical training. Of course, I say this as someone who finished a piano degree at a big state school. I, I have an appreciation for what goes into the musical training everyone here has undertaken and continues to practice in whatever form now. So I started playing the piano when I was, I think, six. It's always been my outlet, really my my go-to thing. Early on, I had teachers who, for the most part, let me play what I wanted to play. Didn't really hit the theory side all that hard, so I had some making up to do for that later. I started playing the piano in church when I was 14. There was a really fabulous musical duo who had been handling that at our parish, and they moved on. And other folks knew that I played the piano, so they asked me to play. I was so nervous at first that I would only play the right hand until I kind of settled down a bit. And so I played for my high school choir and I ended up being a piano major in college. And I didn't realize what I was getting into. I did not have the early serious music formation. Though I did grow up in a musically rich environment. My my mother has a gift for music as well. She had perfect pitch, which was amazing to me. And and I had great music education in school and grew up in just the environment I grew up in was um, conducive to that. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I had the affinity, which helped me go more deeply into more formal study as a piano major. So that experience was really tremendous. And um, I got to accompany a lot of different instrumentalists and vocalists. And it was interesting to interact with everybody and their various personalities and how those matched up with their instruments, (laughs) which I referred to recently on an episode with Art and Lorraine Bennett on the temperaments. I think my own temperament as a phlegmatic melancholic has a lot to do with me as a pianist. Um, When I finished my music degree, I went to work for an orchestra as the lowliest PR person in the whole ranking. So I wrote about music and I drove the visiting artists to the TV and radio stations, arranged interviews, stuff like that. After that orchestra ceased operations, I went to work full-time as a music and liturgy director at a parish. Uh, Playing in church has been primarily how I have used my musical gift for the most part, and I've been really fortunate to be able to do that for a long time now, off and on, as the kids were little, and now I'm back at it every weekend. Um, I think Jordan and I talked about this way back in episode seven, um, playing funerals has has particular uh, significance for me. It's It's a really an honor to be able to be present during those moments and those liturgies and so Now, I think I see my musical formation and training um, manifesting in other areas of my life. So I wondered if we could talk a bit about that, how you guys see that showing up in your own lives. There are some things that have come up that I want to come back to, but first let's hear how you see your musicianship impacting other areas of your life. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear from Mrs. Knufke about about this because like mine was a passing sort of thing. It's a part of me, but but it didn't demand perfection. It didn't demand like all, you know, so to to be more, I guess, on the sophisticated side of music where where you have to you have to learn to be mastered by your instrument almost. And there's no room for mistakes in in that realm. I'd really be interested to hear about how how to balance that or, or or if and and then again if that plays into other aspects of your life yeah definitely as you guys were talking i was thinking we've said this word perfect or perfectionism a lot here um already and i think that that can be sometimes the um 
I don't know, the trap that you can fall into, especially with classical music, I'll say, because there's this really high level of rigor when it comes to classic, classic, you know, classical music, classical musicians, classical pieces. Um, and sometimes I'm speaking also from my personal experience, it's can feel scary to take on a piece of music when the greats have played it to such a high level. I've heard other cellists, we've talked about how we almost sometimes enjoy playing um, contemporary pieces that haven't been heard as much, a piece that someone writes for you. You know, I've done, um, you know, premieres of pieces that no one's heard before. So they don't know what it's supposed to sound like. But if you go out there and you play the Bach cello suite, number one, well, it's been done and it's been done really well before. And sometimes at least I'll think to myself, well, who wants to hear my version when they can just go turn on Pablo Casal's version and it's definitely more perfect than my version. But I do think that that is just a stumbling block because we need good music in the world. And even if you're not playing it at Carnegie Hall or Lincoln Center, that's okay. It's still a beautiful product that you're putting out into the world. It's still um, important to hear and it's still you know, bringing beauty into the world, your performance. So I think that, you know, I just wanted to touch on that because we're all saying that, you know, I think musicians often feel like they have to apologize. Well, I'm not that good. Or I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't actually practice as much as I should. It's okay. It's okay. We can, we can all practice more. And a lot of us don't have the privilege of being touring musicians where everything else is taken care of in our lives. And we just get to go from one of gig to another. Um, so that being said, you know, when it comes to music, you will not get better if you don't practice and practice is a big thing. Um, and I do think that that's something that I was, you know, my, my parents were very encouraging of our music. They obviously paid for our music education. They, my mom would sit with us and practice when we needed it. Uh, my dad came to every recital, you know, he would leave work early to come and, um, so when, when children are young, they really need the support of a parent. Part of the Suzuki method is the Suzuki triangle, which is the parent, the teacher, and the student. So when they're little, they need that help. But you are building a skill there that will bear fruit in other areas of their life as well, because consistency is key to, to most skills that we want to, to build up, right? Whether it be, you know, trying to memorize, you know, a poem, or if it's, you know, anything to do really with school and, um, you know, or consistency when it comes to, you know, running a 5k or whatever it is, you have to, you know, try and practice, get there, achieve your goal. And so that's the kind of larger life lessons that I think that being a musician has taught me because some days I don't feel like practicing or I don't have a lot of time to practice, but I know 20 minutes is better than no minutes. Yeah. I would have loved to have had an hour, but you know what? I have a busy, busy teaching schedule. I have two kids. It's just not going to happen today. But uh, Dr. Suzuki used to say this thing, if you brush your teeth that day, you practice that day. So even if it's 10 minutes to put aside, um, it, it bears a lot of fruit. And I, I can speak to that when I've had recitals to um, prepare for. And it's I feel like I don't have enough time, but I just do every day what I can and you get there. That doesn't mean every performance is your favorite performance, but which is another life lesson because sometimes a performance is not what you wanted it to be. And that's okay too. You learn, okay, I'm going to learn from this experience and take to the next and you get back up, you brush yourself off and you keep going, which 
that happens in life all the time too, whether it be music or not. Um, but yeah, so that's, those are kind of two areas that I think, um, music has really helped me with that consistency, that dedication, and then also just dealing with those high pressure situations, you know, such as playing in church or playing a performance and how do you deal with the nerves? How do you deal with the time when you didn't perform as well as you wanted to getting back in the saddle? Don't feel like doing it again. Um, and then also, you know, celebrate those triumphs, celebrate those times when your performance goes really well and you have that adrenaline kick afterwards. And it's amazing. It was just everything you wanted to be. Um, it's the highs and lows. So um, just like life, it's the highs and lows. And that's some larger ways. I think that music um, being a musician has also impacted other areas of my life. Well, sharing the TAC background with you, Mrs. Kanefke, my, so my formal exposure, other than, you know, our very rural band sort of instruction and learning by, you know, just by observing family and people at the church, but seeing the both to me, both music and astronomy stand out in the liberal arts um, in the quadrivium there as, as things which are really amazing as far as, so this is, I'm trying to see how this works in exactly with what you said, but it was making me think of, you know, Oftentimes, when we do the liberal arts, especially today in in astronomy and music, we're not approaching them actually in the way that they would be approached in the liberal arts, which are extensions of mathematics and geometry, respectively, and those things. But it's more than that um, with music, and I think astronomy in particular. It's not is what's the object of of the the study is so beautiful and so moving i mean to to me when i think about this as you know inspiring you to come to know inspiring you about knowledge why maybe you're led for to books after you've loved fallen in love with music is you see that there's something so moving and so beautiful and yet it's it's comprehensible in a way too i mean it can be measured through something if you if you you know want to do the 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 study of ratios in music or if you want to use geometry but the object is so beautiful and then the fact that something so beautiful can be grasped by us and and then i guess for you performers reproduced and, and created is just something that i think leads you to a love of learning a love of the truth a love of beauty of course um so i think it's even if you don't do it in the traditional way that maybe all of the liberal arts people would have prescribed the the subject itself is just worth considering and thinking about and enjoying absolutely and sometimes you know people will often say oh you know we need to have music in schools because kids score 20 percent higher in english if they study music or 22 percent higher in math if they study um music Okay, well, that's great. I, I mean, that's wonderful. I, I love that there's that crossover, but I always make the point of, yeah, but you also just study music for music's sake because music is wonderful and it, you know, it deserves to be studied. And I think that, you know, everybody who has the opportunity to have music as a part of their life, whether it be listening, playing, a combination, um, teaching, and whether that be, you know, you're part of a local country band or you're, you know, singing opera, I don't think anyone ever says, oh, man, I really wish I hadn't spent all that time 
you know, down <laughs> at those open mics nights. Like that was a waste of time. Everyone thinks that was such a great time. I, I'm so happy I did that. I wish I could do more. I, I think that for everybody having music as a part of their life is a positive. And, um, and yet, you know, whether you study it traditionally or not, or you pick it up um, just at home, I just, I always encourage people to go for it. I have a couple adult students who started cello much later and they'll go, is it worth it? Of course it's worth it. What, you know, it's absolutely worth it. Are you enjoying it? Are you making beautiful music? Then it's worth it. You know, go for it. And I'm here to support you all the way. So many things have run through my mind through this discussion. I, I'm reminded of a, of a criticism of Chesterton where he talks about how we hire professionals to do our fighting for us, professionals to do our governing for us, professionals to do our entertaining for us. And the, and the, and the fact that so many kids are not given the opportunity to, to really be exposed to music and to, to, to playing instruments. And then I think about what I was thinking about back in the 70s when I was working in the in the record store and I was still somewhat involved in my music education at the time and thinking, you know, people come in, they buy these records and they listen to the same song over and over and over and over and over again. They never hear any variation in it. It's always the same sort of song. And what I always found very interesting at that at that point was listening to live albums and going to live concerts where you would hear a mistake every once in a while or you would hear it being done differently and how interesting that was and and somehow people don't understand that part of music and then another thing that crossed my mind and now now I'll throw a little philosophy at you Plato in the Republic talks about music. And not only does music involve what is said, so to speak, but how it is said. And music is about how it is said. And so I've always thought in teaching that my speech and all speech is music. So how I say things, the rhythm of it, the tonality of it, the harmonic of it is also important for students to hear. And, and one of the things that I've often talked about in my classes is that you ever had those classes where the teacher, it just didn't work for you? It, it just didn't work. It was the music. The music didn't capture you. And you had those classes where you thought, oh, you know, I hate this subject matter. And it turned out to be one of your favorite classes. I'll bet you it was the music that captured you in that class. So music, I, I, I'm sure none of us ascribe to a utilitarian way of looking at things in terms of music and in terms of our education. But that's that's what's happened in our world. It's become so very utilitarian. Music is not useful unless there's, you know, something to be made from it, except that when you go to the club that night and you really enjoyed the the open mic or whatever, and you said, wow, that was one of the best times I've had in a lot. There you are. We, we, we're in this utilitarian world that doesn't really understand 
truly the value of music to your soul, to your very soul. And, and so we're combating that in all the things that we've been talking about. I, I think it's really interesting, all of that, like the music of, the, of a live performance, the music of a lecture, the, all, all of that, because what, what I had a hard, I, you know, I, I didn't transition into the, into like the digital age. And, and even now, I've, I've never been one of those people who say like, you know, music is so much better. You know, there's people who collect records and all of that. And, and but until recently, you know, my daughter got a record player. She she likes to listen to records over CDs or over it. It has a CD and a, and a um, cassette option for it. And so we've let her listen to music in in those different formats, and she prefers the record. Um, she thinks she hears something better. But that whole idea of of smashing everything down and and there is no variation the song is locked in to that one thing i did the same thing dr Asler, like where i i would want to catch a live uh a live version or going to a concert and and hearing what what was like gaining in reduction sometimes like there would be a there would be a mistake but you're like whoa that was actually pretty awesome like i've never heard it that way or something but that that bringing everything down to make it into like one digital file or whatever. I, I never had a good recording experience ever because it was always done on like garage band or pro tools, the, the digital tools. And I felt like I can't, I can't hear it when it's uh, I can't make it sound right to me. It was a different, I don't know. I'm, I don't think I'm that old, but I think I was too old <laughs> to do it. I wanted to record, um, I guess, like the way you would record in the 60s, not in the way you record in 2001. So there's something in that, too. I think the the pulling it all down to a digital file and then hearing everything digitally. Um, I don't know if you're working in a record store, you probably probably have a, a, a an opinion on the difference between even the formats. Well... At one time, I had an extensive record collection. The problem was moving an extensive record collection. Very heavy. <laughs> I was still working in records in the early 80s when everything was going to CDs. I made a calculated decision to switch out one of one of the biggest mistakes of my life i think i got rid of almost all my vinyl everything was on cd now of course everything is onto my computer there is something about the vinyl recording i think that your daughter's right that that there even i can still hear some of it and i can't hear very well anymore uh too many live concerts too loud watch yourself but uh the live performances i always thought were so much more interesting besides besides from the fact of the music and the and the interpretations going on the stage live but also the 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 theatric you know just just watching people play and i don't mean you know all the crazy stuff that you see on stage sometimes but i mean 
just just watching people play their instruments that, that emotive quality that goes into it i always found that to be just incredibly interesting um and because i had some of that experience myself of you know playing in orchestra or playing in bands and playing in jazz bands having some sense of what that was like that to me um made music come alive um one of the things i really appreciate strangely about the digital age is you know youtube where you can watch old live performances i find that very interesting um so all these things i think are missed in a way today when people really don't either attend to live performances or or um playing music themselves you know I, all through my life i've you know picked up recorders and 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 you know i have a guitar somewhere which i can't play and a recorder which i can't play and uh you know every once in a while i like to pick them up and just fumble along you know making your own music I think that's sort of what Chesterton was about. We don't we don't make our own music. We don't entertain ourselves anymore. We let other people do it for us for a fee. How insane is that? And so, uh, yeah, uh, music is one of those things that you don't have to pay somebody else to do for you. You just have to make your own. And and you know, short of that, I don't know. I don't know. Hearing you talk about your time in the record store reminded me of my music history courses. I was a music major in the late 90s, and there was a listening component to the music history exams where they would play a piece of music. We had to identify it. They still called it Drop the Needle, even though they had gone to CDs by that point. Oh, yeah. I I, I took music lit. I took two semesters of music lit, and we had those were our exams. Drop the needle, and we literally dropped the needle. And, uh, I remember... I remember you had to go to the library because you didn't have these recordings, of course. And you, you went to the library and you sat in the listening booths and you listened to all this stuff again and again and again. Those were those were those were the courses that I really liked. It was the music theory that yeah, I didn't do so well in. <laughs> that was that was one of my drawbacks. Uh, yeah. So so speaking of musical, that's a perfect place for us to transition. I wanted to talk about Colby's offerings in the musical realm and music's place among the liberal arts. Colby has offered a music history for several years. We we did it here at our house a few years ago. And when I got into it, I was like, wow, this is really like a college level music literature course. It's wonderfully rich and deep. I got the opportunity to visit with Dr. Carol Reynolds, who wrote that course on episode 34 of the Colby cast. I'll link that in the notes. But now uh, Mrs. Konefke has been teaching this course online for Colby. How's that going? And would you say a bit more about the course? Yeah. So yeah, we're using Dr. Reynolds' text as our as our book. Um, we are <laughs> including a lot of listening in our class. Um, so I'd say you know it's music history. We're also you know kind of doing a little bit of music appreciation in there too. Um, so yeah, the we we work through the text during the week. They come to class. We always start with some listening. Um, Dr. Reynolds puts together you know, a suggested list of pieces uh, regarding the composers, the time period that you're studying that week. Um, so my job, I feel like, has just been to 
bring it to the online format, to bring it to life um, for the students. And we've been really enjoying it. I mean, I, I've been really enjoying it. I love talking about this stuff. I'm learning a lot alongside the students. And um, so, we, you know, we do listening. We start with some listening. We, we work through our text. We've been building a timeline. The students have been building timelines as they go to kind of understand the arc of music history. Where we where did we start? Where are we going? We focus a lot on the big composers, the big names, but I also try to bring in some of the lesser known composers. Um, for instance, we were talking about last week, Felix Mendelssohn had a sister, Fanny Mendelssohn, who was also a composer and female composers from that time period were few and far between. So we brought that in. The students thought that was really interesting. Um, and also we've been doing some you know, exercises I really wanted to make the course available and enjoyable for any student, whether they've been playing piano for five years or they have never, you know, really had very little interest in music and very little experience with it. I wanted to bring it to make it a course that everyone felt like they could participate in. So, you know, I've, we've been learning about some musical terms such as forte piano for dynamics or tempo markings, and I'll have them listen to music and I'll have them write out you know, what tempo was this at? What what dynamics are you hearing? What instrumentation are you hearing? What is a concerto? Because remember concertos when we have a soloist, we have an orchestra. So kind of getting them used to listening and using musical terms to describe what they're hearing. Um, so yeah, it's been a really, really great course. Um, I'm happy to say, I think the students are enjoying it. I hope so, you know, this is my first year. So I'm putting everything together now as I go. And, you know, as the year goes on, I hope to keep refining it and making it even more interactive and exciting. But um, the students participate really well. They seem to be really enjoying it. And then also, uh, Dr. Hassler and I are getting a classical music club off the ground, which is very exciting. Um, I'm recruiting all my, I have a pretty large class. I have 17 or 18 high schoolers in my class and I'm weekly annoying them to go join the classical music club. And um, because there are quite a, like you mentioned um, that there are a lot of students at Colby who are already really serious about music. And I do think that hopefully the music history course um, is helping um, some others to become interested in music too. And they've started to share in class, you know, when they go to a cool live performance, we spend a few minutes talking about what was that experience like. One of our students last week went and saw orchestra perform some movie soundtracks, Pirates of the Caribbean, and I forget what the other one was, but she shared with the class what that was like. Um, and I'm telling them all to go see the Messiah <laughs> this Christmas season. So yeah, it's been a really great course. And the book is really wonderful that um, I, I didn't, this course wasn't around when I was at Colby. So it's been new for me too in that, in that way. It's not something I've taken before. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's been a real joy to, to bring it to the online format. Good deal. I'm glad it's going well. And um, it's another, both, both homeschool and online versions of it. it. It's for high schoolers, right? It is for high schoolers. Yeah. So we have a whole range from, from high school, um, but yeah, it's been, you know, first, first semester and we have like 18 students taking the class. So that's, it's been definitely well-received, which is great. So one semester course, um, once a week class. Um, and I definitely, you know, it's an elective. It's not maybe as heavy as some of your other courses, but a lot of listening, a lot of responding, um, a lot of thinking about 
you know, the different music eras and what define the different music eras. We're in the romantic era right now. And we're seeing all the rules of the Baroque era go out the window. We've been talking about what do we think about that? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Um, so it's been very interesting. I'm, I'm sure they're drawing many connections with their studies in, in other areas, other courses. Mm-hmm. Orchestras, educational outreach uh, is a big part of their mission. It was, at least it was when I was there, and I'm confident it still is. Yeah, one thing we've been talking about in our in our course is, you know, when music in the Baroque era, for instance, music was only really accessible to um, nobility and then at church. And we've been talking about how that has evolved to now, you know, anybody can go get a ticket to a live performance. And I think, um, you know, I've been trying to encourage the students to go find their local orchestras and just check out what, what they're offering and telling them they can usually get discount tickets as you're a student and you show your ID. So, um, hopefully encouraging them to just go out there and, and listen to live music, because as we were talking about there, um, there's a communication, you know, music is a form of communicating and, listening to CDs and records is great, but when you're in the live performance, I think there's that aspect of communication that's sometimes lost if you're just listening to a recording. And I think that is what partly what compels us to go and and hear something that we really like perform live versus just putting our favorite CD on of it. I could keep talking about this for quite a while, but we're gonna bring this to a close here. Any final thoughts? I just think that we need to schedule a follow-up because we we haven't been able to get into some of the things I wanted to delve into, like introducing people to classical music and how do you develop a love for that and, and things. So maybe we'll have to do it to be continued with, uh, with this group and pick back up some future time. I like that idea. Sounds good. To be continued. What do y'all think? Absolutely. Okay, y'all. Thank you so much for visiting with us today. Let's pick this conversation back up soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Marry our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.